Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Well, hello there. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. And welcome to Talk About Talk. Talk About Talk is a learning platform, an online resource where I'll help you learn how to boost your communication skills. Whether you're trying to get noticed and advance your career, or perhaps you're a lifelong learner, this is the place for you. If you go to talkabouttalk.com, you'll find free weekly communication coaching through the email blog, one-on-one coaching, online courses, and, of course, an archive of over 50 podcasts, all focused on making it easy for you to become a skilled communicator. Welcome to episode number 57. In this episode, we're tackling a communication skills topic that we could all use some help on. We're talking how to ask for help. Yes, I'm going to help you ask for help. You know when you're at work and you're not sure how to do something, but you know the person who does? Or you're leading a project and you need some expertise outside of your department? Or maybe you're working on something with a tight deadline and you know you're going to need help to get it done in time? Or maybe you need to increase your budget. You need to ask for money. These situations are not uncommon, are they? But it's not at all easy to ask for help. We're supposed to be independent, capable. We're supposed to be experts. What if just by asking for help, people lose respect for us? Or what if they reject us and say no? In this episode, you're going to learn how to effectively ask for help in all of these situations and others, whether you're asking for someone's expertise, for their time, or even for their money. I have a formula that I'm going to share with you, a sort of a checklist to go through when you're working your way up to asking for help. Here's a sneak peek. There are the three M's, mindset, motivations, and metaphors. If you get these three things right, your mindset, the motivations, and the metaphors, asking for help is suddenly so much easier. I'm going to describe these three M's for you in a minute. But first, I'm going to introduce you to someone who knows a lot about how to ask for help. Gretchen Barton, a researcher at OZA, Olson Zaltman and Associates. Yes, Zaltman, as in Jerry Zaltman, the Harvard professor who shared his amazing insights about storytelling with us in podcast episode number 11. Well, Gretchen Barton and the OZA team were commissioned by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to gain insights in how to motivate Americans to help alleviate poverty in America. Pretty cool, right? So let me introduce Gretchen to you now. Then after the interview, I'll summarize and take you through the three M's of asking for help, mindset, motivations, and metaphors. You can keep these three M's in mind as you're listening to the interview, and then I'll summarize it all for you at the end. So don't worry about taking notes. First of all, as I said, there's going to be a summary. And secondly, if you ever want to reference anything, just go to the talkabouttalk.com website. The show notes are under the podcast tab, where you'll find a printable summary, references, and the full transcript. Okay, Gretchen Barton. Gretchen manages business development at Olson Zaltman, a Harvard-founded research company specializing in understanding the unconscious mind. A seasoned researcher with extensive experience and interest in policy and public health, Gretchen has a special interest in changing behavior for the collective good. Her healthcare research over the years has spanned to cover hazing behavior and how to stop it, trauma, alcohol-related behaviors, sexual health, and smoking cessation. Most recently, she's worked with the Gates Foundation to understand poverty across America and how people truly think and feel about it. She's a published author, a student of life, a mom of two kids under the age of five, and overall, a very curious person. So I interviewed Gretchen via Zoom. 
We timed the interview for when her two adorable young kids were supposed to be napping. But of course, they didn't nap. So I'm just warning you, you might hear them in the background. But I was so impressed at how well Gretchen was able to focus, regardless. If you're working from home, you're probably used to this by now, with all the Zoom meetings. Anyway, the fun thing was that at the end of the interview, I actually got to meet one of her adorable kids. All right, let's do this. Thank you so much, Gretchen, for sharing your expertise on how to ask for help. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start by you telling us about the Poverty in America project that you've been working on for the Gates Foundation. This has been a real fulfilling experience to work with the Gates Foundation over the past year. One of the initiatives that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been looking to is to understand what poverty is in America and how to fix it. They partnered with us in an exploration of the four major audiences in America that had been identified by some previous research called the progressives, the conflicted, the drivers and the bootstrappers, but uh, basically people that represent the prominent thinking about poverty in America today. Uh, And they asked us to uncover their unconscious thinking about it and to figure out a way to speak to them in a way that everyone could be sitting at a dinner table and everyone would understand what you were saying and be willing to help. So is the ultimate question, how do you ask for help in a way that resonates with various targets, target markets? Yeah. You guys came up with a segmentation scheme. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a great way of putting it. I mean, we wanted to find a way of connecting deeply with people so that they would understand the problem, feel a sense of urgency about the problem, feel interested in, in doing something and give them a path forward to do it. So absolutely. It's, it's just really another way of asking for help, which is, I suppose, is what good marketing really is, whether it's like, please buy my product or please give me a raise, boss, or, or please help me with this project. It's all really about right. reaching out into the ether and finding a way to connect deeply with somebody. Or please, in this case, please care about these people and please do something about it. So whether it's volunteering or opening up your checkbook, right? Right, absolutely. I think it's so easy. You know, and whenever you do a project like this, you reflect on your own experience with whatever the subject at hand is. So I was reflecting a little bit on taking my kids to daycare on my way to work. And uh, I remember having the double stroller and being like, I'm going to make it to work on time and I'm going to get the kids to the daycare and everyone's going to make it with all their limbs intact. And But I remember seeing this woman outside of McDonald's and she was crying on the phone. And I could tell from the conversation, or I, I surmise, that she was being evicted from the, her home and she was going through a really rough spot. And I remember just going through this quick thinking of, oh no, what do I do? I want to help. I want to help. How do I help? I've got two kids. I can't help. What do I do? Do I give her money? I can't. That's not going to fix it. This is a bigger problem. Should I invite her to live in our house? That would be weird. My husband probably wouldn't approve. I don't know what to do. Ah, and then like scurry on to daycare and feel terrible about it, you know, but I thought about her the rest of the day. And honestly, throughout the course of this project, I feel like in so many instances, we see a problem and we, we don't know what to do. We feel deeply about it, but we just, and so our head explodes and we move on with our lives. Yeah. So it sounds as if maybe part of the research was looking at providing citizens no matter which of the of the segments or the target markets that you, that you outlined there, providing mm-hmm. them with, as you said, a pathway or a sequence of things to think about and to do. What about on the other side? So 
How can institutions, companies, charities effectively engage those people? I'm not sure how much detail you can share what the results or the findings were from this research. First of all, are they public? The Gates Foundation has a mission against gray data, which I didn't know about before, which is like not having stuff just sit on a shelf. They really want to make sure that the research that they pay for, the work that they do, gets out and is, is used and is very helpful. So we're going to be sending that out probably in the next couple of months. You know, I think that corporations, NGOs, institutions all have a role to play. It's funny that corporations have such an outsized influence on the way that we think about things in our life, you know, whether it's just their commercials or the products that we have or the programs they set in place or the influence that they have on how government works. They have fingerprints everywhere for good and for bad. So engaging the corporate community is so important when thinking about how to tackle any kind of societal issue or social problem, right? It doesn't just happen on an individual level. It happens on a systemic larger level through the programs that we have and also the words that we use. So it's certainly something that we're thinking about. I still remember the Nike Colin Kaepernick commercial that came out. The commercial certainly made me cry and it was just like a wonderful statement for Black Lives Matter, which was so important. So um, coincidentally, that commercial was released right before I interviewed Jerry Zaltman for a <gasps> Talk About Talk podcast focused what? on storytelling. And I asked him, not thinking about that commercial or Nike at all, which brands he thinks are getting it right. And he said, Nike has nailed the hero uh. archetype and the hero storyline. And Colin Kaepernick, no matter what your politics are, he personifies that. So that was brilliant for them. And here we are. I know I get the shivers. Fast forward. And <laughs> That's awesome. You mentioned a few things there and I'm, I'm wondering, related back to asking for help. So talk about the significance of corporations for profit um, and specifically, right? And NGOs and the influence that they have positive and negative on our culture and our society and and everything we say, think, and do probably. So Mm -hmm. my question is, is that part of what your finding was? When a message is broadly shared by corporations and other institutions, then is it encouraging people to help more when other institutions are acknowledging the issue? That's a really good point. I mean, yes, yes, more is more. I mean, I think that any, (laughs) any kind of social issue requires help from everywhere. You know, as a kid, I think I used to think of things very much from a personal agency perspective. You know, it was like the starfish on the beach story. You know, the kid throwing the starfish back into the ocean and the guy coming up to the little girl and being like, oh, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm going to save this one. He's like, you can't save them all. And she's like, I know, but this one I made a difference on. And like, that's so great, right? Like our personal agency making a difference is so important. But my God, there are a lot of starfish out there on that beach, right? Mm-hmm. And like, we have to understand that like as a society, as a larger world, it's, it can't just be us. And it can't just be our community. Though Those are, are, are all important. It also is our institutions. It also is our program. And our networks, right? As a marketer, I'm thinking, well, therefore, if we can ask for help from our networks to then also ask, as you say, you're broadening the message and more is more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, none of us get anywhere alone. You know, you reflect on like eating dinner, right? There's so many hands that touch that food, that touch that table, that touched, made sure that you had electricity and air conditioning and everything and the choices in your life and the education, which led you to the job, which helped you pay for the food, which is why I just, I feel so much gratitude. There's so much help that is given to us on a daily basis that we don't even ask for. That True. Think- That's a very good point. And you know what? In preparing for this interview, I had hmm. not thought of that. I'm very grateful. Of course yeah. I'm grateful. 
but I hadn't thought about the fact that in the context of asking for help, I'm being helped all the time and I'm not even aware of it. Yeah. It really hits home too when you think about what's happening in the world right now with the pandemic. A friend of mine on social media shared that she was really proud that her daughter had secured her first job and she was a cashier at a grocery store. Guess what? She's getting paid minimum wage and now she's putting her life on the line so that people can cash out with their groceries. That's crazy, right? Yeah, 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 it is crazy. So Um, when I asked you about the top line results from the Poverty in America Gates Foundation project, mm -hmm. one of the things that you said, I recoded it or renamed it to broadly shared across your network. Mm -hmm. So that's thinking about it at a macro perspective. But I think also at a micro perspective, you said the words you use are really important. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Words have such resonance with us. There's the meaning that the person intends, but then there's the meaning that a person co-creates based on their experience around that, based on the context of it, the emotion that it's told. For example, um, you can ask somebody to help and you can say, you know, I want you to go along on a journey with me. Let's share some time together. Or I can say, hey, do me a favor or can I steal time from you? Right. Those are three different asks implying very different relationships. And one of the things that's been kind of shocking for me as I've grown up and then also as I've raised kids and as I've worked and is just, you can just tweak the verb, the metaphor that you're using and create completely different meaning and completely different experience for somebody. So we do a lot of work at my firm in in metaphors and people describe how they feel on a profoundly deep level through metaphorical imagery and then conversations. And then we analyze it and we look at, okay, what are the verbs they're using? How are they using it? Choosing the right words when we ask somebody for help, really, really important. In this research, we ended up coming up with a story about navigation, right? Because it sort of spoke to all of the different understandings that people had about poverty. Um, progressive thinkers think a lot about the system, the larger landscape or seascape, as it were, of poverty. People who are conflicted think about it in terms of like a fight, a flight, or freeze. They think about, oh God, this is happening. They see the system, but they also see their personal agency and then they don't know what to do. People who are strivers often look at it as a sense of connection and being disconnected from a larger thing. So they're like a boat without a rudder, just floating aimlessly. And then bootstrappers see it as like, if you just row hard enough and kick hard enough out of the water, you're going to make it. And so it sort of paints this larger picture of a large ocean. Like think the Titanic, you know, where people are trying to get out of the water. They're trying to survive. It's this existential threat poverty. And you navigate it, right? Life is a journey and you push through and you help each other through it. You don't let people be consumed by the element. Yeah, it's just a different way of thinking about it. You Mm -hmm. have painted a very, very vivid image. It's kind of a heartbreaking thing when you think about it. The idea that people in poverty feel like they're drowning. And there's the sense of, I'd like to help you, but I'm afraid that if I do, then I'm going to die, drown myself, right? Just so much fear. It's really powerful. So what would you do with that output? You have this, you said it's like navigating a seascape when you have the natural elements you talked about and the water and the drowning and the vessel and the oars and the other sailors you're meeting along the way, all of those elements, right? Right. So what do you do with that? We were talking about the, how the words that you use are really important. You know, when you think about a story that you're telling, you want it to be a story that people can co-create off of, or they can 
vibe with really. You want it to be a story where they can see themselves in it and go, aha, here I am. Here's where I fit. You want it to be a story of some urgency, right? You want it to have some availability. You want it to like, okay, here's where I fit and I can do something. And then you want to have them get the idea of advantage of, of how it will be good for them to do something. So in terms of how you use it, oftentimes we'll say, use the images that people brought in, use the words that they use to echo back that deep understanding of how they think about things in a, in a profoundly deep way. And when you do that, you give people the tingles and move people along. So, so that's one thing that our research partners are going to continue doing. They're, they're going to look at the images that our participants brought in, and they're going to use that in the applications of messaging around poverty in the United States. And they're going to use the words that participants use. So that's part of it. You know, they don't need to dress up like sailors or, you right. know, say, ahoy, mate. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. But the spirit of it. Anything yeah. else in terms of, anything else in terms of words? I think just that there are some words that can really activate action. And then there are some words that implicitly say, don't do anything, I got this. Like, uh, there's a lot of talk in the United States about how the government has been hijacked. Let's think about hijacking for a second though, right? You're in the plane, someone's taken over the cockpit, what are your options, right? You can go and jump in and like fly the plane yourself, but that's like a life and death scenario. But, But there's a lack of agency there that that idea presents. So what's a better metaphor? Are we navigating through this? Let's get our sailors together. We're going to steer the ship differently. Just those subtle tweaks. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a funny thing being a mom now because I listen to the words that my kids say and they're still learning the meaning of words. My daughter is just learning the word respect. What kind of meaning is she co-creating around that? What is she actually thinking? What does she want to communicate? It's kind of a fun thing to do. I guess oh, just person. wait. Just wait till she becomes a teenager. Oh, God. <laughs> it's going to be fun. That's yeah. Hilarious. As you were speaking before, though, I was thinking this really does apply to parenting. And it, I mean, back to the context of asking for help. It's like, come on, help me here. We have all these things we need to do in the house. You're mm-hmm. sitting there playing video games and you can choose different mm-hmm. metaphors, different words. Yeah. So, so that actually leads me nicely into my next question. Hmm. And you can answer this in the context of the Gates Foundation research or other research that you've done. What about asking for help directly? One research project that we did with a nonprofit had to do with financial security and insecurity. And one of the things that we found was that people who were economically insecure often had a great degree of shame. Right. That was going to be my next question. Why are we ashamed to ask for help? I think we're afraid of people seeing who we are, maybe the vulnerability of it. You know, we talked about Jerry, Dr. Jerry Zaltman. I just love that man. And and one of the reasons that I do is that he is so humble and great at asking questions. But I've been in a lot of meetings with Jerry and you'll hear him like take a breath and then he'll go, I'm sorry, I may be daft, or he'll say something self-deprecating, but can you tell me about the meaning of the word? What does that mean to you? And he'll slow the whole thing down. Then it's like, well, hang on a second. What are we actually talking about? It's beautiful because we've gotten the best insights out of just slowing down and examining examining our preconceived notions about what a thing is. Mm-hmm. And it really has taught me the lesson that like there is no shame and ever asking any question about anything of anyone. 
the amazing thing, you know, you and I both went towards shame and ashamed, and those are reasons why we don't ask questions. But then there's this, there's this unicorn named Jerry, who actually we both put on a pedestal. Yeah. So generous. And who does ask questions and he may not be asking for help for himself directly, but on behalf of others, he wouldn't, he wouldn't think twice of asking for help. Right. No. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's freaking marvelous. And I think one of the things I also love about him, he always, always asks, how are you? No, really, how are you? In our marketing firm, we're really hot into this idea of whole mind these days. And there's this guy named McGillcrest and he talks about how the brain works together in all the parts. And it's very interesting stuff. And it basically boils down to what is the experience a person has? How do you understand it? How do you connect deeply with people? Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit, but Mm -hmm. in preparation for this interview, I read an article just in, in a business magazine about how to ask for a raise or how to ask for a promotion. And it was very much about individuals in a work environment asking for help. How do you ask for help? Maybe if you are charged with managing or leading a task force and you know that you're going to need extra bodies on your team, mm-hmm. how do you ask people to give that of themselves? Was there any insights from the research that you've done that might help managers at work who need help? Mm. In our research, we found time and time again that people long for connection. I mean, it goes without saying, I suppose, but it's validated. And when people have an opportunity to connect with others and go alongside someone in their journey, uh, we found that it's a deeply meaningful experience. So I think for managers who are looking for help or are looking to get support, I think understanding that when you're on that trapeze and you're swinging and you're reaching out your hand and you're hoping someone's there, there are tons of people who are just waiting to be picked. People love to help. If you can give them a path forward and say, this is what I need specifically, people are willing to stand up and do the right thing. You know, it can be scary to put yourself out there. But you know what, what you just said is actually very empowering. People love to help and we all have scarce resources, time, whatever's being asked of us is probably a scarce commodity. But I love also how you said, if you can resonate somehow with the person's motivations in terms of connection and meaning. So you could go a level up from what you're asking and say, you know, I am asking for five hours a week, Mm -hmm. but here's what you're going to get in return. You're Mm going to get to know people in other departments, which can only help you. And you're also going to understand whatever. So you're providing them with connection and meaning. Yes, yes. And growth, possibly too. I mean, people have so many different motivations coming into work. You want a paycheck, but you know, you also want to grow. You want to be a star maybe, which I mean, those are all things I think as a good manager, you look for the people's deep emotional needs and you're looking to understand, okay, what's driving them? What do they really want? And maybe it's all of the above. You know, I'll take a gold sticker and <laughs> and a raise and be better and be connected, you know, all of those things. Yeah. And even the people that you're asking for money for a charity, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, this is the meaning. This is yes. the impact that you're providing right? And then helping them learn and helping Mm -hmm. them contribute to society. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point, Andrea, too. I mean, the specificity is really key to sort of say like, this is exactly what this thing will do. Your energy put here will do this good thing and you can see it here and you can see the outcome of it. 
one of our directors, James Four, he just posted this cool article about how people will give in tip jars. And there are certain ways that you can elicit more tips from people. There's all sorts of behavioral tricks. You can look them up. A lot, a lot of them come from Cornell University and they're very, very good. But people love to express who they are. You know, so if you have a tip jar, for example, that says tip here, if you like this sports team versus that sports team, oh. you know, something that like evokes emotion really is, is good. Finding like where people vibe emotionally, you know, yeah. can really spur people on. Well, specifically that reminds me related to their identity. So mm-hmm. I moderated a brainstorming session at a hospital foundation where we were brainstorming the motivations for people to give money. And one of them that came oh. up was identity. And, you know, a lot of people, they want to see their name on an MRI machine or on a building, right? Or the entrance to the hospital. That's fair game. They're still helping, right? So, so two things. One, there's a company called Dipjar. They do a lot of work in the nonprofit space. One of their things is they want people to get that immediate feedback loop of, yes, you tipped, and make it easy, reduce friction to, to tip. So they have this thing where you take your credit card and you dip it, and then it goes, ling, and it lights up and it flashes. So everybody knows that you tipped. Yay. And also, you don't have any spare, spare change. No problem. And it's $1 or $20 or whatever they set it for. So you just, you don't have to think. You make it very easy for people. I think it's so, so smart. Um, The recognition is the word there, right? So identity and recognition are a little bit different. You were talking about having different identities and do you, you know, vote this way or this way? That's identity. And then there's recognition, public recognition. That's right. That's right. Well, also reducing friction, I think is a really interesting thing. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'm going to shift gears before we get to the five rapid fire questions. But when you and I were talking offline, we said we're both really interested in hostage negotiations. So (laughs) I'm wondering if there are any insights about hostage negotiations in terms of what you've learned in this research and asking for help. Yeah. There's this guy named Chris Voss, and I'm just absolutely obsessed. I think that his work is so fascinating. He was a very successful hostage negotiator. He talks a lot about negotiation and the idea is, right, if, if you can save a person from a life and death scenario, then it's a win. You know, when you negotiate with a hostage taker, you're not going to the hostage taker and saying, you're a terrible person, let the person go. Like, no, what you do is you make friends with the hostage taker. You say, gosh, this is a messed up situation. How do we together partner in this messed up situation to figure out together how to make this thing better? What are our shared goals? What's our vision together? Let's craft this, make a better world together. And I think about that a lot when it comes to asking for help. It's about saying like, however hot mess of a situation it is, right? You can always go and say, this is a situation that we're in. How can we make this thing better together? And when it comes to poverty, people have a lot of guilt and they have a lot of shame and they have a lot of blame, whether it's appropriate or not to feel those things. So if we all just sort of step aside as a society and say, hey, let's look at this thing together, not worry about finger pointing, that opens up the possibility for progress. We're going to be able to figure something out together. And I think that that's such a brilliant insight. I didn't, I, I didn't know where you were headed with that. Back to the vessel and the navigation metaphor. We're in this boat together. Mm -hmm. How are we going to get to shore? There's a storm. Let's figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. We all, we all take and take care of each other and help each other out. Again, the power of the metaphor. Okay, are you ready for the five rapid fire questions? I hope so. (laughs) Okay, first question. What are your pet peeves? Jargon. Uh, I hate the word utility. Is that bad? Utilize? I don't tell people this, so here we are. But I I see it and it makes me crazy. Like people will say, oh, I'm going to utilize my pen to write my name. 
like, my God, why don't you just say use, please? So I have to tell you this. I have, I have called people on that for years and I, I gave up. I stopped calling people on it. Why make things more complicated than they are? Say, say it simply, say it clearly. Yeah. Question number two, what type of learner are you? So I think that I am uh, a little bit of everything. Visual, yes, I picture things, but I often like will roll things around in my head and I will feel them. I sort of just have my own experience in my head of things. And I really do believe in experiencing everything comprehensively. Yeah. Question number three, introvert or extrovert? I'm actually an introvert, but people don't think that's true at my workplace. <laughs> I've just practiced a lot. I don't know. It's just like skydiving though. You jump out the hatch and you just, you don't look back. Yeah. Okay. Question number four. Yeah. Communication preference or personal conversations. I, lo I love FaceTime. I think that like being able to see someone, you can understand so much more than text messages or phone calls. Okay, last question. Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most? I will tell you, we always have fresh air going from NPR all of the time. I love the stories that Terry tells and the, the people that she has on. And just it, her. Just her. I mean, so good. So yeah. good. And also genuinely intellectually curious, right? Yeah. Which I think is so important these days, especially. Yeah, I, I don't think you quite said this, but you almost said it. It's now more than ever. I keep hearing that. Now more than ever. <laughs> now more than ever. We understand you. This thing that I doing <laughs> this has been great thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise Gretchen Andrew oh, thanks for doing this with me yeah, thanks I, I know you've got a little one and it, oh hello Do you want to say hi this is Andrew can you say Andrea he never went to sleep oh he woke oh well that means you're gonna go to bed early right say yes thanks again to Gretchen before we get to the three M's of asking for help I want to share with you three of my favorite points from this conversation the first is Gretchen's point about how we're being helped all the time, and we don't even think about it. Like, think about the many hands that touch the food that touch your table. Thank you, Gretchen, for reminding me that I'm being helped all the time, and I'm not even aware of it. My second favorite point, the Gates Foundation has a mission against gray data, which Gretchen said she didn't know previously, and neither did I. I must say, though, I'm not surprised about this mission, but I am impressed that they are explicit about it. The Gates Foundation publishes their research openly. Nothing sits on the shelf. The research they sponsor gets out and gets used. And my third favorite point, how insights into hostage negotiations, including the book by Chris Voss that Gretchen Barton and I both recommend, can provide insights on how to ask for help. As a hostage negotiator, Chris Voss wouldn't reference the hot mess of a hostage negotiation or even point fingers. Instead, He'd ask for help from the kidnapper. He'd ask, how can we help each other and try to fix this? All right, let's summarize this how to ask for help episode with the three M's framework. I created this framework as a sort of a checklist so that no matter what you need help with, whether you need expertise, time, money, whatever, just remind yourself of the three M's and you'll be better equipped to seek help. The first M is mindset. In terms of mindset, there are three things to think about. First, seeking help is nothing to be ashamed of. Secondly, it's not likely that you'll be rejected. And third, people actually enjoy helping. So shame. Gretchen brought this up. 
People don't ask for help directly because they feel shame. But there is no shame. The smartest and the most capable people ask for help. We're not talking about being selfish, but rather about being humble. And in fact, research shows that people may think more highly of you when you ask for help, especially when the ask is a difficult challenge, when you ask the person personally, and especially when you're asking a perceived expert. It's also not uncommon for people to avoid asking for help because they think they're going to get rejected. But research shows again and again that we overestimate the rejections and underestimate people's willingness to help. And if the person you ask does say no, research shows that they'll be much more willing to help next time. And the last point here in terms of mindset, people feel good when they help. Helping others improves our mood. Put another way, being altruistic is gratifying. In fact, helping others, even giving money to help others, can improve our well-being. So in terms of your mindset, don't feel ashamed. Don't assume you'll be rejected. And remember that helping improves our mood and our well-being. So now that we've fixed our mindset, let's move on to the second of the three M's, motivations. Remember Gretchen's story about throwing the starfish back into the ocean? How personal agency, personal responsibility, and motivation is critical here for helping? You want to motivate the person to help you, right? Of course. It helps to make it easy to help. Gretchen mentioned the research about the tip jar, and I've read about that a few times since. Make it easy to help, or in this case, to give money, and then it's simply more likely to happen. Not surprising. There are three specific ways to motivate people to help you when it might require a little more effort. You can motivate people with connection, with impact, and with their positive identity. Let me explain. First, connection. People are motivated to be socially connected. That's not a surprise. But helping others is a great way to feel socially connected. This has been documented by Gretchen's employer, OZA, and countless other academics and researchers. Research shows that the emotional benefits of helping are even greater when they foster social connection. So when you're seeking help, reinforce this connection. Use words like team and together. The second motivation, impact. People are more likely to help when they believe they can truly make an impact. I can tell you, when I served on a hospital foundation board, we talked about this all the time. People are so much more likely to give their money to make donations when they know they're making an impact. Another way of thinking about this is effectiveness, as in the person is much more likely to help you when they can see the effect of their help. And the third motivation to help? Positive identity. People are motivated to help when the act of helping reinforces their positive identity. It could be their positive identity as an expert, for example, or simply as a good person. This is further reinforced when people believe they're helping because they want to, not because they must. So do you got that? You can motivate people to help by appealing to their sense of connection, impact, and personal identity. Two things that will not help motivate the other person to help you it may seem counterintuitive, but there are two things, reciprocity and minimizing your need. Let me explain. Emphasizing reciprocity, as in, if you help me, I'll help you later, can backfire because people don't like to be indebted and because they prefer to help when they believe they're in control of the decision, as I just said. And minimizing your need, as in, it's just a little thing, can also backfire because they'll think it's unnecessary. They're gonna be more willing to help you when they know they can make a significant difference. All right, so we've covered mindset and motivations. Now the last of the three M's, 
metaphors. Do you remember what the main metaphor was that Gretchen and her team uncovered in their Gates Foundation research? The main theme that resonated with everyone when they were talking about how to deal with poverty in America? It was navigation, as in big waves and teams of sailors and navigating the rough seas, as in stepping up, working together to overcome strong forces, and as in saving lives. This navigation metaphor spoke to all of the different understandings that people had about poverty, no matter which segment those people belonged to the progressives, the conflicted, the strivers, or the bootstrappers. The idea of navigation in some way resonated or connected with all of them. This third M, metaphors, is really about watching your words. Words really matter when you're asking for help. Here are a few pointers to help you when it comes to choosing your words. First, labeling the person as a helper or an expert can be effective. For example, in my own dissertation research, people were more likely to share their opinions to help others when they were reminded of their expertise. Other research shows that young children are more motivated to help when they're told they can be a helper. Research also shows that people are more likely to contribute to a charity when they're asked, would you like to be a generous donor? And speaking of words, research shows that communicating gratitude, saying thanks, can boost people's propensity to help you out. Again, especially if you focus more on what the help says about them, as opposed to how much you'll benefit from the help. So think carefully about the metaphors that you employ and the words you use. You could ask flippantly, hey, do me a favor. Or worse, can I steal some time from you? Hmm. You could also be direct. You could say, I really need your help with this. Your expertise is perfect for this job. And this is really important because it's gonna impact the whole team. Do you see how I did that? Okay, that's it. I hope you find this 3M framework helpful. The next time you're seeking help, just think 3Ms, mindset, motivations, and metaphors. If you're looking for a printable summary of this model, you can find it in the show notes. You'll also find references and links to all sorts of other research that I referenced here, including a link to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation research that was conducted by Gretchen Barton and the team at OZA. Now, I have more help for you. If you're not signed up already, I strongly encourage you to sign up for the Talk About Talk email blog, where I'll help you out with free weekly communication skills coaching, not to mention insights from the podcast, some behind the scenes stuff, and more, all delivered to your email inbox. Just go to the talkabouttalk.com website to sign up. And as always, I'd love to hear what you think about this episode, any ideas you have for future episodes, or anything else. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening and talk soon.